If you have something to take notes with, I encourage you to do that. We're going to be uh, taking, there's going to be a lot of references and scripture verses that we're going to cover tonight as a source of encouragement for us as we end this series, but also just so that you've got some ammo for the week, uh, some things to reflect on. And so take notes, uh, tear off the paper on the tables, that's what it's there for. But we have been nine weeks through the letter of First Peter. And we know the letter has been uh, for the encouragement of the church that was scattered throughout what is now Western Turkey. And some of the things that have been covered, some of the things that Peter, the writer, has been encouraging the church have been heavy things. You'll remember we've covered things like suffering, uh, authority, how to live under unjust uh, rule, uh, slavery, things like that. And we know The context of what the church was going through was one that they were being persecuted incredibly for their faith, that many, many were dying. And as we end tonight, and some of the final concluding encouragement from Peter is going to be how to stand firm and strong in your faith and resist the enemy. But the enemy that he's talking about is not any of these things that he has mentioned already in the letter that none of them actually compare to the struggle and the battle against the real enemy. And even in the context where they are dying for their faith at the hands of the Roman government, you would think that the enemy would be Rome, that the enemy would be these unjust rulers, but no. What the encouragement to these believers and the encouragement to us tonight is how to stand firm against our greatest enemy. Even greater than Rome is the enemy the devil. And that is uh, the encouragement that Peter's going to be giving the church, and that's what we're going to be speaking into tonight. Now, immediately, as I said, the word devil or Satan uh, goes by a few names. I wonder what some of your thoughts are as soon as you heard that word. Because my experience has been that uh, there are a couple of unhealthy extremes when it comes to our understanding about the enemy, about Satan. And believers have some very interesting approaches or beliefs around our enemy. Maybe one uh, extreme or or kind of one uh, series of beliefs is almost like this mystic uh, folk Christianity, I like to call it. And, And that approach to the enemy is that you just actually don't say his name out loud. You know, you don't want to draw attention to the enemy so you just don't say his name. And if you have to say his name, you say it quietly and you check the shadows in case he is kind of lurking about. And there are people who have this kind of uh, mystic um, approach to Christianity and especially with evil and the enemy. Another approach maybe on the other extreme is this kind of hyper-awareness of the enemy and so that every single thing in this world is spiritual or demonic. For example, if you sneeze, you need to be delivered of the flu demon. And uh, if you are struggling in your work, you need to be delivered of the demon of poverty. And uh, you can't quit smoking, and I'm actually just sharing real things. I just maybe have encountered a few interesting things in my faith journey and ministry and, and some interesting churches and folk that uh, the reason you, you, know, you may be battling with smoking is because you've been possessed by the demon of nicotine. And uh, there's that extreme that, uh, you know, everything 
is a demon. Maybe uh, another common uh, way to kind of think about the enemy is the comic hot stuff. A very uh, cute, mischievous red devil. Uh, the tail, the fork, the horns, and the, uh, the job of the enemy is to cause mischief. You know, that he'll flatten your tire, um, he'll make you stub your toe, or things like that. It's actually kind of quite cute, maybe, but he's mischievous and, you know, not really harmful in any way. And uh, we think of him like that. We kind of put him in the category of a cartoon character or a mythological thing like uh, SpongeBob SquarePants and the devil. You know, not really real because uh, we've never experienced, uh, you know, the reality of the enemy in, in, in that way in our lives. And again, there's still uh, what we call dualism. And dualism is where we believe that the enemy and God are on equal strength. And the earth is their playing field. And uh, we just as believers are trying to tip the scale in God's favor. Dualism is a, a real belief that people hold to. And then still shame some people who have really been blinded to even believing and worshiping the enemy. And believing that he has got sufficient power to maybe even win one day. C.S. Lewis gives a great quote. And he says, the mistake that people make is either giving too little credit or giving too much credit to the enemy. And hopefully tonight we are going to arm ourselves with some great understanding of the enemy and that we are going to be equipped with greater understanding and faith to stand against the real work of the enemy, which we are going to get into tonight. So let us read uh, the scripture piece for tonight out of 1 Peter. That's going to give us the base for our encouragement out of God's word. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in your faith. Two things stand out straight away in that passage. And again, if you're taking notes or wanting some stuff to reflect on, Peter calls him your enemy. It doesn't say God's enemy. Again, a big mistake is this thing of dualism, to think that God and the enemy or God and the devil are mortal enemies for eternity, that they are locked in this battle trying to outdo each other or get one up on each other. And there was an old movie with Keanu Reeves called Constantine. Uh, some of you saw it. Based on this uh, belief of dualism, which is incorrect, uh, but that God and the devil are equal in strength and, and they are each other's main foe. But here Peter calls him your enemy. He is our enemy. And the reality is as believers that we are going to come up against the enemy. And as you're going to see, he doesn't want us to thrive and flourish in our faith. And so we will in our lives encounter the opposition of the enemy. But he is most certainly my enemy, your enemy. He is our enemy. And then he says, like a lion. He's described here as a lion. And for many of us, we think of spiritual attack in, in quite weak terms. Or maybe have a bad week. 
And, and that bad week as you were stuck in traffic, there's maybe an accident on the, the N1 coming out of Joburg, um, or the rain kind of blocked up the traffic, uh, your servers were down at work, you know, your kids are sick, whatever it is, and maybe you had a genuinely bad week, and you're going, oh, you know, this is just, I'm under attack, the devil's attacking me. Or even maybe you couldn't find a parking spot at the mall and people go, this is a spiritual attack. You know, the enemy's trying to attack me uh, because I can't find a parking at the mall. But he's described as a lion and that's much more intense and, and quite deliberate in that. And the schemes of the enemy are not to make us just have a bad day. Not out there to ruin our day. Like he doesn't uh, see you at the restaurants and go, hmm, let me get their order wrong and uh, attack them spiritually. It's not uh, the schemes of the enemy. Uh, Here's your first uh, verse to write down, to reflect on in the week. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. It's going to come up on the screen. We're encouraged to really know the schemes in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. It's important for us as believers to really know what the schemes are of the enemy. Because in fact, his desire is far worse for us than messing up our order at the restaurant. Uh, His schemes for us are far worse than us stubbing our toe when we're walking out of the bathroom. Jesus in, in John 8, 44, next verse, just write this down for you to reflect on. Talking about the enemy, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and uh, obviously not talking to his disciples, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. If you want to know what the primary schemes of uh, your enemy is, it is to lie to you. Again, if you're writing things down, write that down. That the enemy, his primary scheme is to lie. He is the father of lies and he will lie to you as his primary attack. Well, then what does he lie about? There are a couple of things. Obviously, in an evening like tonight, we can't go through everything. But we are going to, in a few broad strokes, cover the ways that the enemy is going to try to lie to you in his attack on you. Because how can you resist if you don't know his schemes? So if we're equipped with knowing his schemes, we know how to better resist and stand firm in our faith. So the first one is this. He's going to lie to you about God's goodness. Genesis chapter 3 In verses 1 through 5, we're going to read them. And again, you can reflect on this in the week. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals uh, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. This is where we see Satan at work 
And we know the consequences of this moment in history and the effects that it has on every single human being. But here, uh, Satan reveals his MO. He lies. He distorts the truth. And this is how he has been behaving ever since. And this is his pattern. And here he lies about God's goodness. No, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you're going to be like him. Convincing them that God is holding out on them. You know, this is why he doesn't want you to eat it. But knowing full well the consequences of Adam and Eve eating that fruit. And the result is the fall. But one of the things that the enemy is going to lie to you about is the goodness of God. Always wanting you to trade that in for his lies. And we know the effects of Adam and Eve buying into that. He is also going to lie about God's words. And here he twists the words of God. Surely you're not going to die. It's changing God's words, putting something else in place, trying to convince them that God didn't really mean that. Twist his words, lie about what he says. You're not going to die. Now obviously we know they didn't eat and take a bite of the fruit and drop stone dead. But the result was far worse, was spiritual death. And so twisting the words of God, and I wonder how many of you guys have experienced this. Where you've heard the lies of the enemy in your life, and maybe you've never been able to discern, discern that that is actually the lies of the enemy, has been changing and lying about the words of God in your life. And maybe for you, and this is again something I've just experienced with so many believers, is he lies about what God has said about our identity. You know, the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we're saved, we adopted into his family, we become a son and daughter. We're righteous by faith. And so many people wonder, am I really saved? Does he really love me? Has he really forgiven me of my sin? Am I, am I really loved? Does he really hear my prayers? And those are the ways that Satan distorts God's words and, and lies to us about who we are and what God has said to us. He lies about us. Another verse up here on the screen, Revelation uh, twelve ten. Now, uh, then I, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now... Uh, have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them uh, before our God day and night has been hurled down. One of the titles of the enemy is the accuser. And one of the things that he does is lie about us. I think of the story when uh, the woman that was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. And uh, he's writing in the sand as uh, people are waiting for him to pronounce that, they, that she can be stoned. And one by one, they leave. And then I love the words that Jesus says, where are those who accuse you? One of the things that the enemy does is he accuses us of our sin and accuses us of everything we've done wrong. And I love the words of Jesus because he says, where are they? Because we know, what do we know about Jesus? As far as the east is from the west, so far as our sin has been removed from us. Yet the enemy is gonna keep on trying to bring up our sin and he brings it up to us. I love this understanding or, or, or this thinking about the enemy is that he's got a forked tongue. 
you know that, uh, and, and this actually, I'll just build on this with the next point, is he lies about sin. Because one thing, he's always going to try and make us believe that sin is always better than God's goodness for our lives. And so what he's going to do, and in the moment, he's going to be lying to us to saying that we want this. We want to give in to sexual temptation. You know, we maybe want to go onto that internet site. We maybe, you know, want to release our anger on our spouse or whatever that, uh, in the moment, you know, we want to gratify our sinful nature. And so that's the one aspect of his tongue. He's going to lie to us that in that moment, he's going to try and make us believe that sin is better right then and there than, than what God has for us, that uh, giving in to our sexual temptations is better than trusting God uh, with our purity uh, until we're married. Without unleashing our anger and shouting at our child, you know, it's going to feel good that we've got that out and, and released our frustration, then, then trusting God with patience and, and actually just being gentle with our words. But the moment we actually believe that lie, the other bit of the forked tongue comes out. See you failure. And he heaps condemnation on us as believers. See you failed God again. See you actually just a wretched sinner. See God doesn't love you. See you're not good enough for him. Man, maybe that's actually something that you journey with and that you experience. That you feel the temptation, the pressure to give into sin and believing the lies that. It's going to be good in the moment and then experiencing that heap judgment and condemnation on your life. But he is going to lie to us about sin, always making us believe that it is better than the best that God has for us. And also one of the things that he does is he infiltrates the church. And we love this statement, uh, the devil doesn't dance on the roof of dormant churches. And we have been experiencing this actually as a church in the last few weeks, just real opposition from the enemy and some challenges that we've had to put up with. Uh, thank God that we have some seriously kingdom-minded volunteers uh, who have gotten us through the last uh, few days and really just enabled us to stand firm and resist against the enemy and still uh, just preach the gospel and allow people to encounter God in every way. Uh, think of Jesus' high priestly prayer uh, before his crucifixion. One of the things that he prays in his final moments, he gets an opportunity before the Father to pray for all believers everywhere. And his prayer is this one-liner, Jesus, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. And one of the, the biggest schemes of the enemy is to divide the church against itself. That he works against the oneness of the church. Because even then, when Jesus says, if they are one, the world will see me. And I even just think, imagine this church. And while uh, the Lord is working amazingly in this church, um, if every single person, and let's add every church in the south and in Johannesburg, if we are united in passion, united in mission for the gospel, that our sole aim is to be for the world and to be for the king, that people will see that we, that the, the, the gospel is everything for us, that we're just aware that people don't know him and we just live out and engage in culture the way that Jesus does, that the world is, that, that we for them in every way and people get to see that. Joburg doesn't stand a chance. I mean, revival will break out in no time if every church is united. And so one of the big schemes of the enemy is gonna cause us to be divided against ourselves 
cause us to gossip against our brothers and sisters, cause us to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ, cause us to have hard hearts and not forgive, to judge people who walk in. Enemy loves infiltrating churches to take us off mission, to get us arguing about silly, uh, open-handed issues of doctrine that really don't matter much whether, you know, I won't get into any of that now. But he wants to take us off of being united in our purpose and our mission. So those are just, of course we could go into more, but those are some of the key ways and schemes that the enemy is going to come and try um, and, and, and hurt the believer, mainly through lying, because he is the father of lies, and trying to take the church off of mission, dividing the church against itself. So then what do we do? Verse 9 is the encouragement. Resist the devil and stand firm in your faith. Steve shared the story this morning, and he, he first shared it with me in the week, just a wonderful analogy, and it came out of a story that he read a number of years ago. And the story went along the lines of this young guy had to go out of his village and he had to find and protect the village from a wounded lion. And all he had was a sharpened stake. Now, I don't like those odds. The lion is a serious animal. And we know how powerful and strong and dangerous a lion is. But we also know how dangerous a wounded animal is. And in that fight or flight, in that primal protection uh, um, space can be incredibly dangerous. And here this boy is walking out and he is trying to uh, find this wounded lion. And he's got his sharpened stake and all of a sudden uh, he hears something and the lion comes charging at him and, and lunges. I don't know what a lion does, pounce or lunge. Pounce seems too soft a word uh, for a big lion. And in that moment, uh, this uh, boy uh, takes the, the stake and kind of just shoves it into the ground and the lion impales himself on uh, the sharpened stake. And, and that gives us kind of just a great image because what he does is he trusts something greater than himself. See, just even within myself, I don't possess the strength to take on a fully grown lion that's attacking me. But there's something else that the boy trusts in, the stake in the ground, and he's able to defend the lion. That's what he puts his trust in, and that's where he stands firm. And so for us, there are some things that we can use and to arm ourselves with. We don't trust in ourselves, but trust in something else to resist in and stand firm against the enemy. We're going to read a couple of verses uh, just to help again, to arm ourselves with some, some scripture, some truth, to help build a base for resisting the enemy. They're going to come up onto the screen. We can write them down, reflect on them in the week, but let's read through them together. 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by this, by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of the death. That is the devil. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Again, just a few verses, just starting to paint the picture that where do we start in resisting the enemy? Well, what is today? What do we celebrate as the church today? Palm Sunday. And I love this. What is Palm Sunday for us? Uh, What are we celebrating? It is the triumphal entry of King Jesus. When we think about resisting the enemy, our starting point is the finished, completed, victorious work of Jesus. We start resisting with the defeat of the enemy. He has already been defeated. Jesus has won. He is the victor. And it's important to be remembering this. And some of these verses paint that picture. Jesus has defeated the enemy. All his power has been broken by Jesus. Next week, I cannot wait. I love Easter. You guys know me. I just try and preach about the death and resurrection of Jesus every single time I get the microphone. Because what that means for us, Jesus can't accuse me of sin because my Jesus took my sin. He was my sin offering. Jesus cannot even accuse me of shame. Jesus, sorry. (laughs) The enemy cannot even accuse me of shame because even in the death of Jesus, he took my shame. The enemy can't accuse me. Well, he will always try. But I'm able to resist because I rest in the finished work of Jesus. I stand firm on his death in my place for my sin and I stand firm on his physical resurrection from the dead. Not even death has a hold on me because of the resurrection of Jesus. We spoke recently about the armor of God. And this is very helpful for us as believers. Because if he is the father of lies, we respond with the knowledge of the truth. And the better equipped we are with the truth, the better we are to counter the lies that the enemy throws at us. And that's where the armor of God is helpful in Ephesians chapter 6. And, you know, I did this when I was a much younger believer and I got orientated around the armor of God, I used to, in my mind, praying through it, actually like kind of like physically uh, think it through and then figuratively put it on. And that's okay if you do that. But obviously it's not like physical stuff. But if you think about it, it talks about the belt of truth. What is the truth? And again, I just mentioned it. Jesus died for my sin and he physically rose from the dead. Even 500 witnesses saw it. My faith is in an event that happened. That's what I rest on. Faith is not this weird force in the universe that we kind of hope to tap into. Faith is Jesus rose victoriously from the death, physically conquering sin, shame, death. Truth is important. It's important for us to remember that truth. Can the enemy accuse me of sin? Well, he can. Do I believe it? 
No. Why? Because Jesus is my sin offering. He paid the price for my sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. In fact, I have the righteousness of Christ and he declares me justified in the presence of God just as though I'd never sinned. That's the truth. Does God love me? Yes, so much so that he calls me his son. So much so that he's adopted me into his family. So much so that he calls me a co-heir with Christ. That is truth. And the more we know the truth and the more we arm ourselves with that truth, the better it's going to be for us. The breastplate of righteousness. And I love, um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because we declared righteous, not sinful. The enemy is always going to come and try and distort our security of our faith. He's always going to try and distort our righteous standing before the Father. Again, this is why we stand firm in that truth, the helmet of salvation. We don't earn our salvation. It's a free gift from God by His grace, by faith. So we won't take that away. And that's why those truths are so, so important. Another verse uh, for us, Ephesians 6, 18. It says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And as Peter used these same, same words, and with this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. The way we stand firm is what God has given us in his word. The truth about who he is and what he's done is the armor of God that we arm ourselves with to stand firm. And we have prayer. I think one of the things that we miss out on as believers is proactive prayer. So often we kind of reacting in prayer to kind of things that are going on in our lives, but we don't spend enough time in proactive prayer. And what I mean by that is praying for the Spirit to remind us of what God has done for us in our salvation. How much time do we spend time asking Jesus to uh, just confirm our salvation, to uh, help us understand his grace more to be praying. Holy Spirit, confirm the truth in me. Confirm, just uh, help me understand what it means to be uh, righteous. Help me to spend time just asking and, and in the Spirit, just soaking in all the truth that has been revealed to us already to what we know to be true. And that really, really helps us. And this is how we stand firm in the Lord. And resist the enemy. To stand against the lies of the enemy. And where does that leave us tonight? I'm so aware that many of us tonight are maybe feeling the oppression of the enemy. That many of us are maybe struggling with things that I've mentioned Maybe you're struggling with the assurance of your salvation. Maybe you're battling to know that the Lord loves me. Maybe you're battling to know, has he forgiven me of my sin? Maybe feeling that in your life, just nothing is going right. And Steve used this wonderful phrase this morning. Maybe you're feeling like you're caught square in the crosshairs of the enemy's target. It's not embarrassing to admit that but we want to be able to pray for you tonight. 
Uh, we just really don't believe in just preaching something and then walking away without having you an opportunity to experience uh, the freedom of the Lord. And so if that is you, we'd love to just minister to you and, and how that's gonna work is just for you to boldly stand. If you're feeling the weight of the enemy in your life and you just want to be ministered to and encouraged in the Lord tonight, we're gonna come around you. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray for us. So I invite you to stand where you are so that we can come and pray for you. And so those that are standing, why don't a few of you just come around you can stay where you are, sir. And people are gonna come and just pray for you there. So please, why don't some of you come around? There are a few people standing. This isn't weird. We we love just caring for people in very practical ways. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good God who loves us. And Jesus, we come before you here tonight and for the people that have stood because they are just battling because of the the attack and, and the, the oppression of the enemy. Jesus, we ask for your grace and your favor on their lives. You know what they need from you. You know what it is that they're going through. Jesus, we pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen them in their inner being. That more than anything, that they would know you. To really know you. Not just with head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Experience your presence in a very real way. We pray that you would confirm the truth of your salvation to them. They'll be aware to overflowing just of how much you love them, Jesus. Really, truly love them. How much you uh, have just given them your grace. Jesus, I pray specifically that they would know the power of your forgiveness. That as they've trusted your salvation, that you've removed sin from them. And where they're battling to know your goodness, Lord God, that you again just encourage them with just how good you are and how perfect and, and good your word is and how, how much it means to trust you with our lives. So Jesus, we entrust them to you. We ask for your grace and favor and love in their lives. And for every single person here in this room, Lord God, that you would just fill us with your spirit that we would be able to stand firm in who you are. It's the basis of our faith. Amen.